Well, good morning. Glad to have you with us this morning. My name is Andy Callis. I'm the youth pastor here at the chapel. And um, we're going to continue to talk about missions and being on mission uh, right where you are. And I want to start out with a story today that a preacher and evangelist named Ray Comfort tells. And he talks about two guys that go on a flight. And both of them are asked to wear a parachute. And the first guy puts it on, and he's told that this parachute is going to improve his flight. So he looks at it, and he says, well, it's kind of heavy and bulky. I don't really know how it's going to improve my flight, but I'll give it a shot, and I'll try it. I'll put this thing on. And so he puts on the parachute, and, and he immediately notices that he can barely fit in a seat. You know, there's not a lot of space in those things. And it's bulky, and it's heavy. It's pulling down on his shoulders. He can't sit upright, and he's just really uncomfortable and as he starts to look around, he notices that people are talking about the guy with a parachute. What is that guy doing? Why does he have a parachute on? Some people are kind of laughing at him, and people are just giving him funny looks. And after putting up with this for so long, he's finally like, you know, I'm done with this parachute. What am I doing? This isn't making my flight better. And so he rips off the parachute pack. He throws it in the aisle, and he's like, he's more angry that he even tried it at all. And so he's, he's done with the parachute. He's like, this didn't work. But then there was a second guy, and this guy put on the parachute, and he was told that he needed to be wearing this parachute because at any moment, he would have to jump out of the plane 25,000 feet all the way down. And so the parachute is also uncomfortable for him. It's bulky. It's heavy. He can't sit upright in his seat. There's not enough space. And in fact, people are kind of looking at him and snickering, being like, what is this guy doing with the parachute? And they don't have parachutes on. Why, why does he have a parachute? And the guy puts up with being uncomfortable. He puts up with people snickering and laughing at him because he has been told and he knows that at any moment he's going to have to jump out of this plane 25,000 feet down. And so he realizes that it is impeccable that I keep this parachute on my back. I need to because he knew that if he took it off, despite it being uncomfortable, there was certain doom and death that was going to await him. And really, this is a modern-day parable, parable about the purpose of the gospel. We had this first guy, and the parachute seemed like it was worth a shot, but after getting uncomfortable, he abandoned the parachute. And he thought, well, this thing is supposed to improve my life on the plane, and it's, it's not doing that. And nobody told him that there's a 25,000-foot jump that's awaiting him. He just knew this isn't working in my life right now. It's not comfortable. People think it's weird. And kind of in the same way, sometimes the gospel has been portrayed as good news really just for this life. It's going to make your life better now. It's going to give you peace. It's going to give you purpose. It's going to give you fulfillment. Aren't you looking for things like that? People say, yes, I'm looking for something like that. Give me the parachute. Give me the gospel. And why these things typically are true of someone who embraces the gospel, the gospel does give us peace, it gives us purpose, it gives us more fulfillment in this life, that is not the main reason why Jesus came. He didn't just come to give you a better life or to improve your flight. Because along with these things, Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble because of me. In John 16:33, he also said, do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, I came to bring division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three in Luke 12, 51 through 52. 
And Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted in 2 Timothy 3.12. So if you signed up for Christianity hoping that it's just going to make your life better, sooner or later you are going to be disappointed. You're going to experience hardship due to your faith, and if your faith is not genuine, it is going to wither away and die. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower, about the seed that fell on rocky ground, and it sprang up quickly. It looked like things were going well, but he explained that this is the person when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away because they have no root in Matthew 13. So the good news of the gospel is not simply just to give you a better life. Now the second guy, he was grateful that he had this shoot because he knew that at any moment that he would be making this jump and it was worth undergoing the discomfort for later safety. He was certainly going to be doomed without this shoot. So the good news of the gospel is not simply that Jesus came to give you a better life here and now. He came to provide a way of escape from certain doom and judgment. God is going to judge every single person that you and I know. He's going to judge every single person that's here. One day we're going to stand before him and have to give an account. And God is holy. He is perfect. And he has an absolute moral standard of perfection for mankind. For every single one of us, that's what he expects. And not a single one of us can measure up to it. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as people, a lot of times we're okay with that. We're okay with it we fall short. Well, nobody's perfect, and if I compare myself with other people, I'm actually a pretty good guy. Well, God's not okay with it, though. He's not okay with sin at all, and he is furious at our failures, at our inability to obey and to glorify him as he deserves talks about this in Psalm chapter 5 and chapter 11. In Psalm 5, 4 through 5, it says, You are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. In Psalm eleven five, it says, The Lord examines the righteous, but for the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. As John Piper said, God just isn't judging sin in hell. He is judging those that commit sin. He is judging sinful people. And there's no way to escape this. That 25,000 foot jump is going to happen for everybody. It's a jump into death and one day we will stand before a holy God. And that's coming. It's coming for you and me and it's coming for everybody that we know and everybody that we care about. Additionally, on that day we won't be able to point to our good works. We won't be able to say, but God, you know, I was better than that other person. He's not going to care. That's not the standard that he's going to use. It says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says there's no one righteous, not even one in God's sight. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. We can't earn God's favor by just doing good to try to make up for our bad. It says in Romans 3.20, a little bit later on in that chapter, that people are going to stand speechless before God. Their mouths will be closed and they will be called to account for the life that they've lived on Judgment Day. And really, that's terrible news if you don't have the parachute, if you don't have Christ. If you have Christ, there's great news. Christ came to take our place. He came to take that punishment that we deserve for not meeting God's standard. We had an eternal death sentence, but Jesus took it. He lived this perfect life that none of us could live. I know oftentimes when I'm like, Okay, I am really going to work on this and get better at this, and I find even more how much of a failure I am because when I try harder, I still fail over and over again. 
we can't do it. We can't live up to this standard, even standards we set for ourselves oftentimes. But Christ came and he paid the price for our sin. God accepted that payment. He rose from the dead. He lives today. He killed death. He destroyed the power of sin. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, he said, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've believed this message, then this is certainly good news. It's the best news that anybody could ever receive. It's, it's worth our focus. It's worth our meditation. It's worth our study. It's worth our sacrifice. It's worth being uncomfortable, even if that means uncomfortability in this life. And it is certainly news that is worth sharing. And nowadays, there's a lot of things that we share with a lot of people. You know that little, that little symbol that you share stuff with people? You email it or, you, you, you know, you attach a post or a video or something like that. It's a, it looks like a little molecule, a little share button, right? We share a lot of things, especially online. We're, we're sharing posts and things that people have put online, stuff that we want to share. And these things are good, but it's not the best thing that we could share with somebody. The good news of the gospel is the best thing that anybody could ever hear. And they desperately need to hear it. And we have been called to do it. We have the Schraders up here. They have been called to Papua New Guinea. Most of us will not be called there, but you know where you have been called? Here, in Cape and Jackson, with your family, where you live on your street, where you work. You have been placed there as a missionary. Do you see yourself in that way? It says in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And you might say, Well, I, I, I don't really feel like I'm the light of the world. Well, you are. Jesus said that you are. And he has put you in a spot where he wants to use you as an influence. And my question is, are you being the light? Are you being the light where you are? Because only you can be a light there. I can't be a light where you're at. God has called you to do that. And I know right now it's kind of the holidays, and uh, we have quite a few campus outreach students that are gone. There's people that are traveling and stuff like that. But, but here's what I want you to think about, and maybe even kind of look around. Because I know where we sit, we sit in the same spot every Sunday. There's always space. There's always empty seats around me. There's always an empty pew that's around me or in front of me or behind me. Why are those not filled? Why are those not filled? I'm going to suggest to you, and I'm going to point the finger right back at myself, we're not sharing this good news. We're not sharing the best news that anybody could ever hear. We're not doing it. We're not doing it enough. That's why there's empty pews. That's why there's empty seats. This is a life-giving, life-changing message. It's the gospel. We have been called to share it wherever we are. And I just want to challenge you this morning, is that even on your radar? That that's something God has called you to do? Is that something, if you're real honest with yourself, that you even care very much about? We're supposed to. It's supposed to be on our hearts and in our minds. And this morning, I want to challenge you with why we should care and a strategy on how to share the good news of the gospel. And my hope is that we're going into 2019 here. This becomes part of the fabric of how you think this upcoming year and how you operate. And you begin to see opportunities to share the gospel and people coming to faith around you. 
and that those empty seats around you start to get filled by friends and family and coworkers and those that you get to share the gospel with that come to Christ. Because really, that's why we exist. That's our mission here. Our mission statement says Cape Bible Chapel is a gospel-centered community of worshipers on mission to make and multiply disciples of Christ in our neighborhoods, among the nations, and of the next generation. That's what we've been called to do by Christ and as a church. And, and just a side note before I go any further with this, I uh, had an open slot to preach about whatever I wanted to today. And there were several things that with the youth we've been talking about this fall, I thought, yeah, this would be a good message for me to kind of expand on. And as soon as I really started seriously praying about this, evangelism hit me right between the eyes. And so I really think this is a message that God wants all of us to hear today and wants you to hear and be challenged with today. And I just want to tell you, I'm not qualified to really give it. There's many of you that are better evangelists than I am. So anything that I'm challenging you with today, God is already challenging me with. And I accept that same challenge. Evangelism is not easy, but we are called to do it. And so that I hope that you hear me on that this morning as I'm challenging you I feel the challenge, and I also feel the weight. So we need Christ. He is our salvation. He is our parachute that's going to carry us to safety. But what is the problem? What is the problem? Well, I think the first question to ask ourselves is, why don't I I care more about this? Why don't I make this more of a priority? And you might even say, well, Andy, I I do care about this. I do. I, I think about it sometimes, and and, and I do care about this, and you might, but really the best determiner about whether we care about something or not, we can look at our time, we can look at our pocketbooks, we can look at our focus and our energy, and that's going to show what we truly care about. And so I want to ask you a few questions to diagnose maybe how much this is on your radar. How much in your average week is devoted to praying for lost friends and family? How much during your average week do you think about the fate of those that you know and care about, not some person that's, that you've never met. I mean the people that you know and care about, and you know this person doesn't know Christ. How much do you think about the fate of that person that doesn't know Christ? How much of your time is spent building a relationship with somebody who needs Jesus? How much money did you spend to meet a need to maybe show somebody the love of Christ in order that you might be able to share your faith with them? I would be willing to bet if you analyze these things over the last week, the last month in your life, to say, yeah, uh, maybe I'm not prioritizing this the way that I should. It's not as high as I would like it to be. And I'm going I'm to suggest five things that keep us from prioritizing sharing the gospel in our lives. Number one is we're too forgetful. We're too forgetful. And we need reminders of spiritual realities, right? Because we see the physical world, we see all the stuff around us, but oftentimes the spiritual side of things, we lose sight of it because we can't see it. And this is why we have to have daily time with God. It's so important because we just get caught up in the day-to-day. We get distracted. We forget about these truths. And that's why I wanted to start off of this message just sharing the reality of the gospel. I mean, the the reality is, is you and I know people who are lost. And they are destined for an eternity separated from God forever. And and we know this, but it's painful to think about that. And so oftentimes we just just kind of forget... um, we, we ignore that fact, maybe. But that 25,000-foot jump, it's coming. And none of us know when that's going to be for the person that we care about. Sometimes we forget that the New Testament talked about hell about 25 different times. 
with Jesus doing most of the talking about hell, he made it clear it's a very real place that real people go to. That's hard for us to think about. It's easier to ignore it or forget about it. He described it as a place of unquenchable fire in Mark 9.43, a place of no escape in Matthew 23.33, a place of torment in Luke 16.23, a place of darkness in Matthew 8.12, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 22.13. It's really a disturbing thought for us to ponder and think about somebody that we care about going to a place like that forever. To think about somebody being in a place like that that we care about for a few minutes or a few hours is disturbing. But to think about somebody we care about going there for eternity, that's not easy to think about. But we need this reminder from Scripture often that we need to think about it. And God's judgment is coming upon those that have not trusted in Him. We need to share that way of escape. So number one, we're too forgetful. Number two is we're too busy. We're too busy. Satan loves keeping us busy with things that don't matter. This is like the American way. Just stay busy. Keep your kids busy. There's school stuff. There's events. There's family things. There's uh, hobbies. There's yards that have to be tended to. There's all kinds of stuff. Possessions. You name it. And we have a lot of stuff, and there's things that we have to do. God has made life that way, but there's so many things that keep us too busy, and they eat up our time and our focus. We simply get too distracted to really think about the things that truly matter such as sharing your faith, which should be a priority. I think about last summer, um, we do something called SEMO Project with high schoolers that choose to participate in it. One of the things that we do every week is we go out to Kappa Park, typically, or the mall or somewhere like that, and we practice sharing our faith. We try to start spiritual conversations with people, uh, ask them about what they believe, get to share what, what we believe with them. And it's always challenging and, and intimidating, but oftentimes we have some great conversations when we're out doing this. And I remember thinking at the end of the summer, I thought, you know what, I'm doing this again next week. I know we're not officially doing this with our youth group anymore, but I'm, I'm going to come back, and I might even bring one of my kids with me, and I'm going to keep this going, because this is just, it's so encouraging to come out and to be able to share the gospel with other people. And that was about five months ago. You know how many times I've been out to Capitol Hall Park to share my faith since then? Zero. Zero. You know Why? I got too busy. I got too busy. There was just a lot of other things going on. And I'll tell you that we have this natural slide away from evangelism. So you start to get too busy, that's going to be one of the first things to go. And it was for me. And maybe you've experienced that as well. We get too busy. Thirdly, we can be too selfish. Some of you might say, I wouldn't tell anybody this here, but to be honest, I'm just not interested. I don't care to do that. That's hard. And I've got other things going. And that should be something that the pastors do. Yeah, Andy, you should be fired up about that. You're a pastor. That's what pastors do. Well, sorry, but you're wrong. Because Christ has called every single one of us to share our faith. This is in the Great Commission. We've all been called to make disciples. Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them everything he's commanded. And he's talking to you. He's not just talking to me. As a pastor, he's not just talking to our elders and deacons and our teachers here. He's talking to each one of us, and it's a command to obey. And on top of that, practically, like I said before, I don't know the people that you know. I don't work where you work. I don't live on the street that you live on. I'm not on the team that you're on. And so God has put you specifically in that place 
have a sphere of influence with those people to make disciples. If you struggle with this, just being too selfish and just not wanting to do it, pray that God would change the desires of your heart. He can change hearts. Ask Him to do that. Fourth reason is we're too scared. We're too scared. Why the gospel is great news, it's only great news because it's really bad news, right? We talked about the terrible news. It's tough to share that message with somebody, but you have to do it. That's part of the gospel. To tell somebody, no matter how hard you try, you will never measure up to God. Ever. He's got this absolute perfect moral standard, and you fall so miserably short. The only way for you to be have a way out from that is that he had to come and live the perfect life you couldn't live. As himself, as Christ. And he had to pay the price for your sin by dying. That's the only way that you could be saved. That could be a very offensive message to people. I remember one time a guy at the gym that I got to share this with, and, and he was just, he was astounded. He's like, so you're telling me that's the only way to get to heaven? That's the only way to be made right with God? I said, uh, yeah. He's like, I just, he just shook his head and walked off. Kind of like, just, that, that just that doesn't make any sense to me. You're telling me I'm not a good enough person? I was in the military, and I led a great life, and I raised my kids, and it's not enough. It's an offensive message to people, and it's tough for us to want to share that. We naturally, including me, shy away from conflict and things that can cause conflict. And we can get worried about the relationship. Well, what, how, what if my friend reacts in a way they don't want to be around me anymore? What if, they, what if they trash my faith? That's so important to me. I don't like people talking bad about that. I, I struggle with this fear, the fear of man. But we need to be praying for boldness, and we need to be reminded of what Scripture says in Psalm 56, 11. It says, In God I trust, I am not afraid. What can man do to me? And the apostles talked about this in Acts 4, 29, as they were undergoing persecution for their faith, and they said, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Sometimes we can get too scared. We need to pray for boldness and remember that God is in control. Number five is we can be too confused. We can be too confused. You might say, well, you know what, Andy? I, I do. I want to share Christ with people. I want to share the gospel. Honestly, I don't really know where to start. And if that's you, you're in luck because that's where we're getting ready to go with the plan. The plan. How do I come up with a plan to do this? And here is the very practical, applicable part of the message. So I hope that you take notes here. Several years back, we took the youth to an evangelism conference called Dare to Share, and they had some great tools to help students and adults know how to share their faith. And one of the tools that they had was called Pray, Pursue, Persuade. Pray, Pursue, Persuade. And it gives you direction on the evangelism process. It gives you kind of a step-by-step -step of how to do this and get evangelism just on your radar week in and week out. And we're going to have a picture that comes up up here. And I'll be referring to this kind of as we finish the message here. So the first step is pray. That's where we start is with prayer. Two questions that can humble any Christian is how much do you share your faith and how much do you pray? C.J. Vaughn once said, if I wish to humble anyone, I would question him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for its sorrowful self-confession. Hey, man, how much you been praying lately? Uh, you know, I've been dumb. That's kind of, oftentimes we kind of look down, kind of kick something around. Yeah, I know I should pray more. I know I should pray more. Well, we need to be praying about evangelism. So we have to begin with prayer because God alone can keep this fresh on our hearts and minds week in and week out. Just our own motivation isn't going to do it. 
God alone can create circumstances where we are able to share the gospel with somebody. He can make that happen. Oftentimes we can't. God alone can change somebody's heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. We certainly cannot do that. And so we need to be praying for ourselves and for God to work in and through us. And when we forget to pray, I kind of feel like it's a soldier running out on the battlefield with no weapons. Just running. It's not going to work real well. So we need to remember our, our best weapon, really, in this fight for evangelism is to pray. So what do we pray for? Well, we pray for ourselves first. We pray that God would help us to overcome any of these problems that you identified with. This being too afraid or too busy or whatever it might be. God, help me to overcome these problems. Pray for your heart to be more like his for the lost. I think about the father in the parable of the prodigal son. And the father was willing to be foolish and give away his inheritance because that's what the son wanted. And his son squandered it. And then his son comes back and the father's willing to give up his dignity to go running toward the son who treated him with such contempt. But here's all the father cared about in Luke 15, 24. He said, the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. We need to be praying that God would give us that kind of heart for the lost that we know and that we love. Secondly, we need to pray for God to put two to three people on our spiritual radar. And odds are you probably already know who these people are. Somebody that you interact with on a routine basis or you know that you could start interacting with more because you have an opportunity to do so. And they need Christ. This could be a close friend. This could be a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, <clears throat> maybe a teammate. And let's start praying for them. We need to start praying for that person and see what God does. Paul gives us a model in Colossians chapter 4 for things to pray for for these two to three people. It says in Colossians 4, 3 through 6, it says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul says, hey, pray for open doors. Pray that God would provide an open door for you to speak with somebody. Pray for clarity whenever you speak, that it would make sense to the person you get to talk to. Pray that you'd make the most of every opportunity, that when you see the opportunity, you would take advantage of it. Pray that you would be gracious. Nobody is going to be argued into the kingdom of heaven. That I would be gracious, even with people that I disagree with. I would speak the truth in love. And pray that you would know how to answer everyone, that God would give you wisdom to answer questions and to know how to navigate relationships and conversations. <clears throat> and again, more than likely, these are people that you're already doing life with in some way. Odds are they've already popped into your mind. And if they have, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down their first names. If you're like, yep, I already know. Those are the people that I need to, I need to focus on. I need to start praying for these people. Write them down. I'll give you a couple minutes or a couple seconds to do that if they've already popped into your mind. There's something about writing them down that makes a difference. And that's really kind of our, when we were encouraged at this conference, that's really kind of the first thing that he said to do. He said, start praying for two to three people, and you can't see all the lines on this diagram, but he said, write their names down on this diagram and on the blanks and put it somewhere where you're going to see it so that you see it consistently, and it reminds you, I need to pray for them. 
I need to pray for them. I need to pray that God would do something in their life and that he would use me. God showed me the power of just passionate, intentional prayer last year. We had an extended family get-together, and God had just put in my heart to want to share my faith with some family members that I wasn't real sure where they were at spiritually. And so I'd really been praying for a couple of weeks leading up to this event and, and was really had a few people kind of on my radar, and I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to start some conversations with, with these guys. And as the night went on, it just wasn't, I wasn't getting any traction. It wasn't going the way that I wanted to, and it was kind of toward the end of the night, and people were starting to leave and go home, and it's toward bedtime. And I was really discouraged and disappointed. Like, man, God, I was really praying for this time, and I feel like nothing has happened. And right before bedtime, I had an amazing conversation with my nephew. And he was not on my radar. He was not somebody that I was thinking about. But we talked for hours about his faith and my faith and about God's word and about Christianity. And that led to a relationship where we met weekly and just talked about God's word and what Christ was doing in his life. And it was so neat to see how God answered that passionate prayer. So we need to be praying passionately for those that need Christ, that are in our lives. So first and foremost, we have to pray and see what God does. Secondly, we need to pursue. So the next part of our diagram here, we need to pursue those two to three people. The dictionary defines pursue as to follow in order to overtake, capture, kill, a.k.a. chase. When you hear this word pursue, you might kind of think of that definition and think, well, that kind of sounds like a lion sprinting after a gazelle and then capturing it and eating it. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Or it kind of reminds me of an old episode of Cops where they're chasing the guy down and they throw him on the ground and bust him and take him to the slammer. Like, is that what you're talking about? Any like pursue? That's, that's not what I have in mind. Okay, so don't, don't do that. That scares people. Don't do that. I, what I have in mind is more the second definition that I found in the dictionary of pursue, and that is to follow close upon, go with, or attend. This sounds a little nicer, doesn't it? And all this means, really, is I want to stay, stay close. I want to be close to this person so that I can reach them. I want to go with them. I want to attend things that they attend. And this isn't being deceptive. It's not being tricky or fake. It's the simple fact, as I've heard Eric say before, you can't have impact without contact. If you're not around them, you're not going to impact them. And I want more contact with my wife and my kids because I know that God has put me in that family to be an influencer. I want to have more time with the youth because God has put me in a position that he wants me to be an influencer for them. In the same way, God has put you in the lives of these different people so that you will influence them and to do that, you need to be around them. You need to pursue them. It's not about people having a target on their chest. It's not about winning a trophy because I shared my faith the most. This person is a valuable person that has been made in the image of God. You need to pursue them in love because God loves them and he desires for them to be saved. We want to show them the love of Christ. We want to care about what they care about. We want to get to know them and do life with them. I'm reminded of what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He says, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8. This is where you have to carve out time. This is where you have to slow down 
And you have to be intentional to set up lunches or dinners or play dates or whatever to keep that person close. I kind of picture it like this. You have two cars that are going the same way on the same highway. And you want to stay where they can see you. Maybe you're in their rearview mirror. Maybe you're right next to them. Maybe you're just out ahead of them. But you want to stay where they can see you. Sometimes you're coming alongside of them. You're doing things together. Sometimes you're just kind of behind them and you've just got done doing something and, and, and hanging out or talking. Other times you're maybe out in front of them. You're trying to lead and guide them a certain direction. Start spiritual conversations, inviting them to a church event, whatever that might be. But you want them to be able to see you. And I struggle with this aspect of evangelism, the pursuit. I'm kind of like oftentimes a car that just the engine is messed up. Because I'm on their bumper, and then all of a sudden I'm a mile behind, and then all of a sudden I kind of remember, and I'm on their bumper again. And that's not the way you want to do this. You want to stay in their life consistently. Be around, be around, and pursue them. That's why you just need to pick out a couple. You can't pursue everybody. God hasn't called you to do that. Pick out two or three. Keep praying for them consistently. Use something like this. Keep your bulletin that you're hopefully filling out today somewhere where you're going to keep seeing their names. Keep praying for them. They'll stay on your brain. Figure out creative ways to set aside time for them. So first, we need to pray. Secondly, we need to pursue. Thirdly, we need to persuade. We need to persuade. When you hear the word persuade, you might have some other poor images that come into your mind. I think of a persuasive speech that we had to do in high school. I always hated the persuasive speech. I've got to talk these people into wanting something that I know none of them want. And that's maybe what you think about when you hear the word persuade. You think of some pushy salesman. It's like he's trying to sell me on this, and I don't want anything to do with it. And I just can't stand pushy salesmen. I I can't stand uh, being in that position. And that's not what evangelism is, thankfully. Former Senate chaplain Richard Halverson said that evangelism is not salesmanship, It's not urging people, pressing them, coercing them, overwhelming them, or subduing them. Evangelism is telling a message. Evangelism is reporting the good news. We are more like passionate reporters than we are pushy salesmen. Greg Steer of Dare to Share Ministries, he points out that this word persuade actually means to to move by argument or entreaty to a belief, position, or a course of action. We're wanting to move people. We want to move them closer to Christ. The second definition is to plead with or to urge. And that last definition might remind you of a certain portion in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul recommends this very thing. He says, beg, plead, implore, do whatever it takes type of mentality to reach people for Christ. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 and verses 18 through 20. Since then we know that what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you might say, well, man, that sounds pretty extreme. I don't want to look foolish to my friend. That might turn them off. Well, I want to go ahead and inform you if you didn't know this already. They probably already think you're foolish. If you've trusted Christ to be saved, the world already looks at you as a fool. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He's like, the message of the cross, 
That's foolish to people. If you're trusting in a guy that died 2,000 years ago to save you and make you right with God, that's foolish. That makes no sense to me, and I can't believe you believe something like that. So the world already thinks that this is a foolish thing that we are holding on to. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 4 a few chapters later. He said that the apostles had been put on display as a public spectacle of foolishness to the world. The world already thinks that we're foolish for following Jesus. So we might as well tell them how they can join us, right? You want to be a fool like me? Then here's how, here's how it can happen. And you might say, okay, well, I, I want to I do this. I'd love to talk with somebody about this. How do I get that talk started? For me, that's always the hardest part. How do I get that talk started? I would encourage you, ask questions. Just ask questions. There's an uh, evangelism strategy called Share Jesus Without Fear, and that's pretty much what they talk about. They say, ask questions, and you know why? People love to talk about themselves. People love talking about themselves. Hey, what, you know, get to, get to know them with general questions and ask questions like, go to church anywhere around here? You have any kind of church background? How did that impact you as a kid growing up? You have any kind of spiritual beliefs that are important to you? Uh, what do you know about Jesus? Who, who is he to you? What do you believe about him? What do you think happens to somebody after they die? What do you think our purpose is here on earth? What, what's, what's your purpose? Questions like these are going to help you diagnose where somebody is at. You can ask more questions from there. And they're going to be more interested in what you have to say if you listen to what they have to say. So, again, Greg Steer, he also says to acknowledge where you have common ground. As you ask these questions, you might start to learn, like, hey, they, they believe something different than what I do, but we do have some commonality in these ways. And that doesn't mean that you affirm any kind of heresy, but try to find where you can make positive comments about things that they believe. They, they're not going to feel attacked if you approach it this way. Their beliefs are important to them, just like your beliefs are important to you. So acknowledge where you have common ground. You can say things like, well, that's, that's really neat that you're so passionate or committed to something like that. Or that's neat that you believe that there's a spiritual realm as well. I believe that too. So acknowledge where you have common ground. Another thing that you can do is talk about how your beliefs have impacted your life. This is your testimony. Figure out how you can share that in three minutes. Paul outlines what's supposed to go in a testimony in Acts 26. Three things. Who I was before Christ. How I came to know Christ. What he's doing in my life now. Take some time to write that out. Who was I before Christ? What was I about? What was I interested in? What, what drove me? And then... How did I realize, you know what, that's not right, and I need Christ, I need him to save me. And then what's God doing in my life now? What is he, since I came to Christ, how has he been at work? Figure out how to share those things in a few minutes with somebody. And lastly, you need to share the message. Share the message. And it does not have to be complicated. I know, uh, and I still think this sometimes, but especially when I was younger, I thought, man, I just, I, I don't have the answers to all the questions they're going to ask, so I better wait so that I learn all the stuff, and then I can share my faith with somebody. does not have to be that complicated. We need to share the message, and the message is really pretty simple. Raise your hand if you know John 3.16 by heart. If you know John 3.16 by heart, raise it up. Yeah, most of you do. Most of you do. If you know John 3.16 by heart, you can share the gospel with somebody. Here's what Matt Slick of Karm Apologetics says. He says, evangelism, it's the communication of the gospel message, it includes three things. It includes a warning, it includes an explanation, and it includes a call. 
We look at John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Where's the warning? The warning is you're going to perish apart from Christ. The explanation, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. Why did he send Jesus? To die for our sins. The call, you have to believe on Jesus for this eternal life or it's not yours. Another verse we talk about quite a bit with the youth is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The warning, what you earn for your sin is death and separation from God. Explanation, those who are in Christ, they have the gift of eternal life. The call, well, this gift is only going to be yours if you receive it. You must receive a gift, and you do that by repentance of sin and faith. So if we want to see family, friends, neighbors, co-workers come to Christ, we have to persuade them. We have to beg, urge, plead with them to consider the truth of the gospel message. We need to pray. We need to pursue. We need to persuade and as I close today, really the bottom line is thinking about what we talked about at the very beginning is one day we're all going to make that 25,000 foot jump into eternity. One day every single one of us and everybody that we know and care about, we are going to stand before God. Those who are in Christ will make it to safety. They will spend eternity with him. Those who are not will spend eternity without him in a place of absolute terror that we don't want anybody that we care about, anybody that we know, to go to. Who do you know that's going to go there? Who do you know and care about that's like, they're going there. I know that they are. That needs to be one of your two to three people. You need to get them on your radar, your evangelism radar. You need to start praying for them. You need to start pursuing them. You need to start persuading them. It is so easy to get too busy, to get so distracted, even on other things in the Christian life, in, in our ministry at church or in our own personal ministries, that evangelism falls off of the radar. But God has placed you where you are, on your street, in your school, on your team, in your job, in your family, with your friends, because he wants to use you, not me. He wants to use you in that sphere of influence. He's put you there for a reason. He is calling you to make disciples right there. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Because they might be the only Christ follower. You might be the only Christ follower that they know. And God has put you there. Is it hard? Is it uncomfortable? Is it scary? Is it intimidating? Yes. It's just like that parachute pack. Man, this is uncomfortable. I don't have space. People are laughing at me. But you know what? We know, we know Christ. And in the end, things are going to be awesome for us in eternity. We want to bring people with us. Who are those two to three people? Here's my challenge to you for 2019. There's a lot of resolutions that you can make. Figure out who those two to three people are. And you make it a priority to pray for them, to pursue them, and to persuade them this year. And as I said before, hey, I'm going to do it too. Let's do that together. And slowly over time, we're going to find in here, we don't have space. Because these people are coming to Christ because we're praying together. We're looking for opportunities that God is giving for us to be able to share our faith with people that we know and love, that are doomed without it. Let's do it this year. It's going to be a challenge, but it's worth it. All right? Let me pray for us.
Father, when we think about the gospel and its message, it's, it's a serious message. It's divisive. You look at the world and you see two kinds of people. There's lost and there's found. That's it. And I know so oftentimes, God, in my own life, I don't, I don't look at people in those categories. But I should. Because those are the main categories that matter. Lord, you have made us ambassadors for you. And it's, a, it's an intimidating thing. It's a task that we feel so ill-equipped to do. And that's exactly why we need to be begging and pleading for you to work in and through us. Create opportunities, situations, put people in our path. Change people's hearts. We can't do any of that stuff. We need you to do it. It starts with prayer. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to begin praying for two to three. And I pray that you would do some amazing things this year as our entire church is on mission with this, I hope that we would see new people in Christ sitting right here beside us because we started praying and we started pursuing and we started persuading people. Keep this fresh on our hearts and our minds. Keep us from discouragement. God, help us to press on in this. Help us to remember, God, that you have chosen those who are going to be found in Christ before the foundation of the world. You are in control of this process. You are with us. You are on our side. You're at work in and around us. We're not doing this alone. God, I pray that you would do amazing things in and through our lives this year with our two to three. Keep them, keep them on our hearts, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.